Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. Such a privilege to be here. And uh, when I got the invitation in 2020 and then COVID struck, I thought, got out of that one. And I thought they'll never invite me back. That was probably a chance thing. They didn't have another speaker. And then they sent me another invite. And such an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you, Pastor John and your wife, Francine. Thank you for the invite. And Pastor Ben and uh, Trish, lovely spending time in your church on the weekend. Thank you for your hospitality. Very kind and a great privilege to be here. Wasn't his message last night amazing? What a brilliant word. Such a touch of God and inspiration. And uh, tonight I'll be preaching on a topic that will completely contradict it, so make sure you're here. But great to be together in the house of God. Such a touch of God in the worship, and I think the worship team deserve a hand. Is uh, Pastor Dustin in the house? Right there. Sorry, I can't see in the dark. Just wanted to honor you and Sarah. Just for a wonderful, wonderful venue. And thank you for hosting us. And just appreciate your friendship. Looking forward to preaching in the church on the weekend. And hope you do a great, great job, as I'm sure you will, in our church in Santon this coming weekend. Well, before you sit down, because the mind can only absorb as much as the seat can endure, I'll just keep you on your feet for a moment longer. I've got my wife with me. And uh, we, we, I think I've got a family picture. Is there a family pic? It's a family pic of us. We will be married in February 50 years. So, wonderful to have her with me. She helped me this morning to put my ephod on. And I have my daughter with me. She's just recently married a year ago. That's the wedding pic. And then my other son lives in the UK. And uh, he, we have uh, four grandchildren. I think there's another picture. Uh, no, there isn't. Okay. And uh, that's, that's my oldest son. And uh, I forget every now and again that he's 49. My word. Makes me feel old. And, uh, but I'm young at heart, and I'm so glad to be here. And I'm trusting God to speak through me in Jesus' name. So let's put, put our hands on our heart and let's just pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful occasion, this opportunity to be refreshed and refired and refueled and just pray for your uh, men and women that you'd fill them with vision and faith and optimism, excitement, Lord, and most of all, your spirit, your Holy Spirit. As we go to the Word this morning, would you write on the tablets of our hearts? We, we don't resist information because, you know, information forms us, and we want to be conformed to your image, and we want to be transformed. So I pray as I speak today, would you use me? Would you bless every person hearing me today? Put your hand on us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. Such a challenge to speak to pastors and leaders. I think it was T.D. Jakes who some years ago said it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do is to speak to pastors and leaders because as they hear you, they're asking themselves, could they preach a better message or have they preached a better message on that topic? Or they're asking themselves, gee, can I use this on Sunday? How many of my people are here? Listen, if you can use any of what I share in the time that I'm here on Sunday, I would count it an honor because nothing is new under the sun. It just comes with freshness each time someone else preaches it. And so I trust you will be helped today. In my quiet time this morning, reading in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, I just want to share this with you because I think it will help us in response. I was reading about Bartimaeus. How many of you preached on Bartimaeus? Some of you probably 50 times. And as I read it, I realized he did something significant. He called out to Jesus several times. And then Jesus didn't respond. In fact, they told him to be quiet. But then suddenly Jesus called him. The Bible actually says he called him. And you know what I realized? If we call on the Lord, eventually he will call on us. 
And sometimes we lose our ability to call because it's like he hasn't answered. So, well, if he, you know, if he will, he will. If he won't, he won't. Let's keep calling on God. Let's keep seeking the Lord. Even in this meeting, keep praying, keep expecting. Because then sooner or later, they said, hey, he's calling you. Cheer up. And I believe God wants to cheer up hearts today. And he's summoning us into his presence. And he's got a word for us. And he wants to equip us. Many of you would have heard this story as I kick off this morning. In 1175, a man gave over to his son a tract of land in what is known as Mongolia. This 13-year-old boy inherited this piece of land, and he began to gather a band of men around him and eventually developed an army. They noticed he was a gifted military strategist. He had a gift on his life for assembling men. And it wasn't long as he grew and, and developed in his skills, they went from village to village conquering, and eventually had two million men following him. Many of, you, many of you would know that they called him Genghis Khan, and he became one of the greatest generals that ever lived, and uh, he was a man who ruled over more territory than any other man has ever ruled. Now, amazingly, at that time, while he was conquering, and they were quite violent and brutal, exactly the same time, St. Francis of Assisi was busy preaching in Europe, and thousands were coming to Christ under his preaching. You know, whenever something negative is happening, God is also still at work. And word spread to uh, that area, and uh, he gave over the, the uh, kingdom to his grandson, Kublai Khan. And Kublai Khan had two men in his court, the, the providence of God, two men in his court with the surname Polo, son and uncle of Marco Polo. And he, these two men began to tell Kublai Khan, hey, the gospel Jesus, you need salvation. And he said, I'm interested. Would you go across to the Vatican, go across to Rome, and begin to ask him to send 100 missionaries? Because if missionaries come here and they preach the gospel, guess what will happen? We will have more Christians than anywhere else in the empire. So they went and uh, brought back Marco Polo eventually. But guess what? No one wanted to come back. No one understood the hour of opportunity. Two monks decided they would go, but on the way they got weary, they heard rumors of the violence, they feared for their lives, and they turned back. And when they got back, finally, he asked Marco Polo and the uncle and son, where are the missionaries? And they said, no one wanted to come. Well, we know from history that years later, men eventually went and women went and preached the gospel, but that window of opportunity was missed. I don't know if you realize it, but we're living in a window of opportunity right now. The conference is called the Grace Years. I believe we're living in a very special period of grace and opportunity right now. And we need to act on it and we need to seize it. Otherwise, it will pass. The definition of God-given opportunity is this. A set of circumstances that enable progress or breakthrough. I want to speak to you today about seizing our God-given opportunities. Seizing our God-given opportunities. I want to say a few things, and then I'll unpack eight things about eight principles of seizing God-given opportunities. Eight is the number of new beginnings. I believe God has got a new beginning for us after COVID, and we're living in a season of opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, and rise from death, and Christ will shine on you. Be care so be careful how you live. Don't live like ignorant people, but like wise people. I love this. 
make good use of every opportunity you have because the days are evil days. There's a dichotomy there. The days are evil, but there's amazing opportunity. And sometimes we can only see opportunity and it puts us to sleep. I think COVID did that. COVID did three things. Let me, before I finish reading the scripture, COVID did three things to us. And I believe there are only three stages. If you're making notes today, there are only three stages that people live in. COVID could cause apathy. Many people are apathetic. Apprehension, what's coming next? You never know if there's another pandemic or expectation. I believe our congregations and our leaders are only in one of those three categories. Either apathetic, apprehensive, or expectant. And we need to be expectant, and when we're expectant, we'll wake up and we'll grab opportunity, we'll seize it, and we'll do what God's called us to do. He says, don't be fools then, but try to find out. In other words, not always obvious. Try to find out what the Lord wants you to do. Do not get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I do believe that that's what we need to be doing in these times. Wine is a way of coping with stress, and it's not wrong to drink wine. I understand that this is not a uh, uh, movement that forbids alcohol, does it? Because otherwise I shouldn't be a speaker here. Um, <laughs> but we shouldn't use alcohol to cope with pressure and allow it to make us more apathetic. We need to rise up and seize our God-given opportunities right now. You know, there's a Chinese Christian by the name of Christiana Tsai, who suffered from a, del a debilitating disease much of her life, and she wrote a book called Queen of the Dark Chamber, and she said this, she said, once a great China scholar said, a sage seeks opportunities in difficulties, and a fool finds difficulties in opportunities. We are born to overcome the difficulties through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see difficulties in opportunity or do you see opportunities in difficulty? Because I want to remind you, the devil understands opportunity. He's using this season as an opportunity to dull people, to cause them to deconstruct their faith. I don't understand the word deconstruct. To me, it's called backsliding. It's a noble way of saying I'm losing my grip on the Lord. But the enemy uses uses opportunities to do certain things. The Bible says that when Jesus was tempered, the devil left him until an opportune time. If the devil understands opportunity, surely we need to embrace and seize our God-given opportunities. Helen Keller said this. She said, often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one that has opened for us. We could be looking back and living in memory, or we could say, Lord, there's something ahead. Let me embrace it. Let me give you eight principles this morning for uh, understanding how to seize God-given opportunities. Number one, opportunities come in seasons. They come in seasons. If you read the book of Acts chapter 28, you'll see that Paul spent two years living in his own house. It was a window of opportunity that then passed, and he went on to be with the Lord. We need to recognize the windows that we're living in, especially as we get older with health challenges, we need to live in those windows of opportunity and make every use of them. 
and uh, seize them rather than let them pass. I do believe we're living in an, op- in an hour of grace and opportunity right now. People are hungry for God. They're coming back to church. They want to worship. They, they, they want to take hold of each other's hands. Laying on of hands has become such a wonderful thing again where you could put your hands on people. We've been anointing people with oil. The other day we prayed for people for healing. They went right up the aisles. It took us about 15, 20 minutes to pray for everybody. And we have a good system. We have those little thimbles with sponge in. No spillage. We've got it taped. And they were packed because there's a hunger. And it's a season right now of opportunity which we need to use. And uh, if we act now, God will use us to plant and to rebuild. You know, just another story about seasons of opportunity. The end of World War II, General Douglas MacArthur called on all American Christians to send missionaries to Japan. He said they'd been so devastated and humiliated by the nuclear you know, fallout and the way they were destroyed and, and defeated that they would be open to the gospel. And uh, the ward left them open and hungry, but the churches in America sent less than 100 men or women to Japan. And reading the statistics here, the population is now 125 million and less than 1% is Christian. They missed a season of opportunity. I wonder if you understand where you're living right now, that you're in a season of opportunity. Number two, the second principle about seizing our God-given opportunities is opportunities come to everyone. No one is devoid of opportunity. We talk about equal opportunities. We talk about people without opportunity. I want to say to you that if you are alive, you have opportunity. I teach in our country where people are unemployed, 36% unemployment. Do not wait for something to come to you. What, ha- what is in you that you can do? You might not have a, you might not have a, have a tool or a trade, but you could take a cloth and wash a car. Imagine going to someone and say, I'll wash your car. No, I don't need it. I'll wash it for free. Then do an incredible job. That person will tell other people, you need to get that guy. And let's give him something. We can make opportunities, but many of us are waiting for someone to give us an opportunity instead of seizing our God-given opportunities. And sometimes you can feel like, you know, there's nothing in my life, nothing's happening, but God has given you a grace, and you need to begin to look around you for God-given opportunities. I, I believe God gives opportunities despite education and despite wealth or poverty. And the cure to poverty is not socialism. It's seizing God-given opportunities. In fact, Solomon said that. He said, better a live dog than a dead lion. Some people are waiting to become lions instead of getting on with their lives, even though they feel like dead dogs. In fact, Solomon, recognizing the power of opportunity, says that opportunity is more important than education. In our country, people are constantly studying to get degrees, and then when they get a degree, they can't get a job because there's not enough industry, and no one's doing trades. And Solomon said this, as you will all know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. You know, the factors that people say are necessary for success, he says are not true. The swift, the wise, the brilliant, the learned money, they are not the key to success. He says the key to success is to spot your moment and your window of opportunity. And you can study all you like, but if you never recognize opportunity, 
you won't move forward in your life. And he actually says that it's much more important to have a keen eye for opportunity than to have all the brilliance in your mind. Dr. Robert Schuller, I hope it's not wrong to quote him in this conference. He did do some good. He says, high achievers spot rich opportunities swiftly, make big decisions quickly, and move into action immediately. In other words, if you're going to be a high achiever, one of the key things you need to be able to do is to recognize seasons of opportunity and recognize that you have opportunity and then to make the most of it. And if you're not good at doing this, I, can, I want to encourage you, you can develop it in your life. You know, opportunity is an interesting thing. If you ever watch soccer, sport, particularly soccer games, and I, I, enjoy, I used to enjoy watching Barcelona. I'm frustrated now. Uh, but a team can dominate like Barcelona. For, forgive me, ladies. Uh, they can have the ball for like 65, 70% of a game. But there's just that gap when the opposition gets the ball. There's that window of opportunity that can turn the game on its head. They run down and they score a goal and suddenly it's 1-0. And that's the thing in life. We've got to look for those opportunities where things can turn around. If you feel dominated by the play, keep looking for your opportunity to switch play because God is on your side and he wants to give you seasons of opportunity. You know, years ago, and I want to just acknowledge Pastor Steve Penny sitting up there and Pastor Steve Kennedy. They were the first Australians to ever visit us. And uh, I still hold deep hurt because Pastor Steve Penny came and he looked at our little church building and he mocked us. <laughs> as he does. Rude and insulting. But we kept inviting him back. And uh, when I went to the church that I'm in now, the main campus, 30 years ago, I was asked to move there. There were 70 people. They told me this is a white church. We don't want black people here. This is Santon. They were small-minded. They were petty. The building was in terrible condition. In fact, if you weren't careful, you sat on one of the pews, you'd fall through. And the building held just uh, 200 people. And they kept talking about how they needed to get rid of the mortgage. You call it a bond or mortgage? Is it, is it mortgage? 60,000 rand it cost to build that building. And they were moaning and complaining. And that's what I inherited, that little church. But I saw a moment of opportunity. And I recognized that God had moved me there, not by my design, but by his divine design. And that it was a season and a moment of opportunity. And we began to develop it and work. Uh, no black people came because they felt, you know, the white people were hostile. So I bought Shutterstock pictures, you know, the Shutterstock and... All those images, fashionable black people put them on our signboard, and black people started coming in. And then I started making pals with them, and then Indian people came in, and eventually the tide turned, and the white people said, well, we're leaving, and I was like, God bless you. <laughs> Some of you need to let go of people. Can I say, by the word of the Lord, you need to let go of people because they will stop you from the opportunity for growth. And I remember clearly, this is maybe a word for someone, I remember clearly a woman who was one of those key givers, and we weren't even meeting our budget. She said, I'm leaving, and we're not tithing anymore. And apprehension came over me. The following week, our income went like up 50%. And God showed me, let go of people. This is an hour of opportunity. And then we started, the neighbors started moaning because the music got loud. The woman next door used to come, and she used to accost me and swear at me. And, and I mean, when I say swear, I don't mean... I don't mean small words. They all, they all started with F, and they weren't friendship, fellowship, or fun. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so what we did was we eventually, eventually went to her and we said, do you want to sell your house? And she said, I do, but no one will buy it. And we said, we will. So she said, I want a million rand. We said, we'll pay it. Because that buffer zone was worth gold. So we bought a house and we put the children's church in there. And then we started recognizing, if we don't buy the houses around us, people are going to build townhouses here. And if they build density, you'll never be able to do it. It never makes sense. So we started buying up houses, one, one after another. But guess what? The neighbors got wind of it. So the houses went up four million. Six million. And eventually, there were some of them who didn't want to sell. So you know what I did? I went to them and I said, this is a one-time offer. Ten million. They grabbed it. Because you know why? I recognized that if I bought that land, no townhouses could be built. And I could build a multi-story garage. So we built a car park. I think it's the first church in South Africa built a multi-level car park. 650 cars could park on two acres. Because we saw opportunity and didn't allow limitation to keep us back. We seized it. And at the time, it seemed illogical, but today we would never be in the position we are. So we added nine. We got 10 properties all together. Eventually built another auditorium, seated 1,000. We had five services in there. And uh, the main auditorium that we have now seats 3,000. And uh, when people come now, they're like, how did you do this? I wish I was here. No, you don't. We recognized opportunity seasons of opportunity that God gives every one. Can I just tell you, and this is, this is not a boast, I'm encouraging you, some of you need to go into building programs and you need to grow your church. Stop telling yourself that in your community the people don't give and in your community they don't come out on Sunday nights and in your community they don't sing and they're more conservative. You look at the God-given opportunities and keep driving it. That building, the original building, and I showed it you because otherwise you don't get a picture. That building is worth 60,000 Rand. Our assets as a total now, 30 years later, 380 million Rand. I used to beg the bank to lend me money. I, in fact, I sat outside the bank manager's office for two hours once. He wouldn't see me. He came out, are you still there, Pastor Olivia? I'll talk to you when I, I stayed there the whole afternoon. He eventually came out and I said to him, listen, you told me you won't give me a loan. I've asked for 500,000. How much will you give me? He said, we haven't talked about it. I said, you need to talk about it and I'm not going home. That's where we started. Today, they make an appointment with us. Four of them come see us. They meet in our boardroom. Is there anything we can do for you? Isn't it wonderful? And so we need to understand that there's an opportunity that comes. God gives everyone opportunities. We need to lay hold of them and take them. Number three, God creates opportunities. God creates opportunities. The parable of the talents tells us that God gives to each one a different opportunity, but an opportunity nonetheless. And we need to take hold of it and recognize it and use it. And sometimes those opportunities are created in a negative context. And that's why we don't recognize them. Do you remember when Samson wanted to marry a Philistine woman and his parents were distressed? But the Bible actually says this in Judges chapter 14. It says that his father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines. You know, negative, op negative things can lead to positive opportunities. And so we need to uh, recognize that there are opportunities. Number four, I need to go quicker. Opportunities come disguised as problems and opposition. If you've got a problem where you've got opposition, it could be your greatest opportunity right now. And uh, you'll remember when David and Goliath uh, faced each other, it was an hour of intense 
uh, negativity, but it was a divine opportunity. I like to talk about David and Goliath, and you probably all preached on it, but you know, for 40 days and 40 nights, the Philistines taunted the Israelites, and for 40 days, that's longer than from payday to payday. I think you get paid every two weeks, we get paid every 30 days. 40 days and 40 nights, nothing happened. Why did nothing happen? It's because they did nothing. God did nothing because they did nothing. Maybe God's not doing something where you are because you're not doing something, because you're not recognizing, because you're seeing the negative, and God's saying, this is the opportunity. This is the challenge that if you seize it, will give you the breakthrough. And David didn't see negativity. He saw an open forehead. They saw a giant. He saw an opportunity. And I want to encourage you, opportunities come disguised as problems and as, op as opposition. I think it was John Maxwell who said, opportunity never comes with a sign on the front. It has a sign on the back. And so when it's approaching you, you go, and then when it goes past, you go, oh. <laughs> we need to learn how to catch opportunity from the front, not when it's past us. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? And uh, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 8, I will stay here in Ephesus until the day of Pentecost. There is a real opportunity for great and worthwhile work, even though there are many opponents. Can you see the contrast there? He says it's going to be great and worthwhile work, even though there are many opponents. We have to recognize and keep our eyes on the things around us because sometimes it leads as a door to opportunity. And, you know, I do want to say this. If you keep trying something and it doesn't work, maybe you need to change tack. I think the saying is if you keep hitting your head against the wall, look for the window. <laughs> but sometimes we need to press through the challenges because God's got an opportunity for us. And we need to recognize that they come disguised as problems and opposition. I was recently in America and uh, the guy who drove me, uh, he told me a story about how he started his business. And I said, oh, what do you do? And he said, I've got five shops. I sell pizza. And it's just thriving. And it's called Fat Zach's Pizza. So I said, that's amazing. He said, no, no. What's amazing is let me tell you how I started the business. So I said, yeah, okay. And he began to talk. He said, one week before COVID, we opened a pizza shop. One week before COVID, fitted it out, opened it up, ovens and everything. He said, and then COVID struck. And I said, what did you do? He said, we looked for opportunity. And he said, we took the equipment and my wife and I fitted out a truck within the first two weeks with everything we had bought. And we went to all the gated communities and we parked outside and we sent leaflets to them. We're outside. If you need pizza, we'll come and deliver it. A few years later, he's got five shops and he is thriving. You see, sometimes opportunity comes disguised as some opposition or negativity. We need to look right through every challenge and see what God wants to do. Can you say amen? Is this helping anyone? I don't know if you re remember or have read how silk was discovered in uh, China way back in uh, 2700 B.C., the emperor spoke to his wife and said to her, would you please have a look and see why my mulberry trees are being eaten? And she went outside and saw that moths, these ordinary looking moths were laying eggs on them and then caterpillars were coming out and the caterpillar would spin a cocoon and she was interested and fascinated and so she took it and she dropped it in water and see what it would do and she found it unraveled and it was a half a mile long. 
Amazing. And then she thought, I wonder if we could weave this. So they invented a loom, and they started weaving silk. And then people started enjoying silk. And then, for years and years, China had the monopoly on silk. And then they sent monks there, because they knew monks. Monks are the best, industrial, the best people to use for industrial espionage. So they went with hollow staffs, and they took some cocoons, and they took some worms, and they closed their staffs up, and they brought it back to Rome. Um, and that's how the, 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 the silk trade started in the Roman Empire until eventually the Roman Empire was no longer dependent on China. You know, problems, the eating of mulberry leaves started an entire silk trade. When you think of silk today, you think of quality. But where did it start? Holes in leaves. Let me encourage you. Opportunities come disguised as problems and as opposition. Number five. Is this Okay. We must seize them or they will pass. We must seize them or they will pass. David seized the opportunity to fight Goliath, and uh, he won a victory, and it turned the whole nation around. Jesus himself talks about opportunity. He says in John chapter 9, we must work while it is day. There's a, there's a time when you need to seize an opportunity, and if you don't, it will pass. In fact, if you're making notes today, you might want to write this down. Opportunities have a shelf life. Opportunities have a shelf life. And Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, the opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. That's why Paul tells us, make the most of every opportunity uh, because there's a limited time, and if we don't, they will pass. And we need to recognize certain, in ministry there's certain opportunities. If you think of Zacchaeus climbing that tree, it was an opportunity, and he positioned himself. When Elijah, uh, Elisha followed Elijah, there was a window of opportunity. And he says, if you see me, then you will receive. And you know, I'm amazed at some pastors, and I thank God for this conference, two different venues. As some pastors, are you going to Gateway Conference? Nah, I don't know what they can teach me. I'll go anywhere and position myself. Because opportunities don't come often, and maybe God will speak to me. And I do believe if we don't seize opportunity, they can go. And, and you've got to grab hold of your God-given opportunity. Some of you are young. Use your energy while you have it. Because you get, there's a Jewish saying, we get too quick old and too late smart. You get old before you blink. Ask any older person in the room, they will tell you it went like that. We were talking this morning in the green room. Your life just goes like that. And, but I was once 30-something, and, and I could do all the kicking and... And now I'm like, how long is this going to go on for? <laughs> use the opportunity while you have it and act and use your energy. Remember in, in 2 Kings 13, when Elisha was about to die, do you remember the story? He went to the king and he said to him, shoot the arrow out the window. That's the arrow of the Lord. How easy is the arrow of the Lord? It's only one. But then he tells him, take the bunch of arrows and strike it on the ground. And he only struck it three times. And he says, now, because you only struck it three times, you will only win three times. And some of us shoot one arrow and then we're waiting for God. He says, no, take hold of opportunity and beat the life out of it. And watch me bless you and grow your church. Number six, we must not be blind to opportunities. Don't be blind to opportunities. Luke chapter 19, when Jesus came to the city and uh, approached Jerusalem, and he looked over the city. He said, if only you had known the time of your visitation. 
If only you'd recognize that this is a moment, a window, and you'd seized it, how different things would be. And uh, they were blind to opportunity. They could not see it. And I think today what we're entering into, and it's, we've got to be careful it doesn't pervade the church, is we're entering into a blame culture where we no longer see opportunity. And, and what I can do is I, I would if they... I wrote a book called Taking Control of Your Life because I recognized that the majority of people, even in first world countries like America, they blame the system, they blame the economy, they blame the upbringing, they blame, blame different races. If they're not blaming white people, they're blaming immigrants. And everyone's pointing at everything else instead of saying, what is in me? What can I do? And what, is, what can I do with my hands despite my lack and you know, it, it amazes me. You, you, you have uh, Chinese people. They come to a country with only the clothes on their back. Nothing. And in, in a short time, they've got several shops, shopping centers. Oh, the Chinatown. They know how to take opportunity. And they're not blind to it. And sometimes we who live in luxury, yeah, you know, the economy. Pastors, leaders don't be like that. See beyond the challenges and don't be blind to opportunity because God has got opportunities for you. I was reading about a man called Julius Mawale, and uh, he's a Kenyan, and uh, he went and studied. He, he looked around Kenya, and he, he looked at all his friends that were studying to become doctors and dentists, but he went and studied to become a telecommunications engineer. And he says this. He says, technology wasn't popular among my peers, but I saw an opportunity now, let me read to you, and let me quote him, because it's quite profound. He says, I knew by getting the technology qualification, I could compete with any person in the world. While being a dentist or doctor is good, I knew being a doctor or dentist in Kenya would limit me to the Kenyan environment only. However, being a telecommunications engineer, I would be global. I would be able to access resources globally. He recognized something that very few people recognize because we keep following the same patterns and the same thought trends. We've got to start looking and not be blind to opportunity. Number seven, and I'll go quickly, opportunities seized, listen to this, lead to other opportunities. You want to know why you don't have opportunities? Because you haven't used the ones God has given. And when you don't use what God has given, it diminishes. As they say, what you don't use, you lose. And so we need to take our opportunities. You think of Joseph, who interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker. That has led, that, that opportunity taken led to him being able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and to become the prince of Egypt. And uh, whenever we take small opportunities, they lead to bigger things. If you're a young person in the room and you're on a team, I want to encourage you to serve and make the best of your serving. Don't just have your eyes on the senior pastor and his role and how big your church will be one day. Be like Stephen and Philip who picked up the, 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 the opportunity to serve tables. And they rose up out of the seven. And when you read about Philip, he's not known as Philip the deacon. He's known as Philip the evangelist. And he, and he goes into Ethiopia and Candace, the queen's uh, eunuch, is there. And he's able to minister and bring change to the whole country. But he was faithful in the opportunity. That's why it led to a bigger one. Stephen is the same. He serves tables, but God uses him to preach one of the longest sermons in the Bible. And he's used, he's recognized as the first martyr. F.B. Meyer said this, he said, don't waste your time waiting and longing for large opportunities which may never come, but faithfully handle the little things 
that are always claiming your attention. Number eight, has this helped anyone today? God opportunities, and let me encourage you with this, God opportunities, though lost, can be found again. Does that give you hope? See, we're in the grace years. It's not over. While you have life, you can start again. And even if you're a leader or pastor who has failed dismally, if you would place your, hands in the ha- your life in the hands of God, He'll give you a new start. Didn't God do that even with a stubborn Jonah? Surely with someone who's humble and repentant and says, God, use me again. God will give new opportunities. We need to be people who recognize that we can pick up what we've lost. We so beautifully heard last night the parables from Luke chapter 15. And let me remind you that there are three stories there again. The coin, the sheep, and the son. And the coin was lost through the fault of someone else. The sheep was lost through its own stupidity, fell down a hole. And the son was lost through rebellion. Interesting thing, you don't look for sons, they have to repent. But you always look for coins and sheep. People leave our church in rebellion, I don't go look for them. We love them, but we wait for them to come back with the right spirit. Then when they do, we will embrace them. But coins who have been lost through someone else, you know, drug use or someone else prostituted them or whatever, we go and find those people because we, we need to redeem them. Sheep that fall down a hole, they don't know any better. Someone else who's, who's better, who's wiser needs to pull them out. It's very important to recognize the difference, otherwise we chase the wrong people. Some pastors chase sons, you need to wait for them to come back. Are you with me? Now, I don't want to get distracted here. I want to talk about the coin. The coin, we're talking about regaining opportunity. The woman lost the coin. Why? She didn't value it. Maybe someone bumped her arm. Maybe she didn't recognize the value. But this is the wonderful thing. The Bible says she swept the house and uncovered it and then said, come rejoice with me. What's in your life right now that might need to be swept and recovered? There are things that you've got but somehow they've ended up under the dust. You need to sweep and search because opportunity doesn't always lie on the surface. I don't have time to read it all, but the book of Job talks about mining for silver and gold. If you're making notes, Job chapter 28. And it says that we assault the rock and we go down in the mine. My wife preached a whole message on this one, one New Year's Day. It, opportunity and value is never on the surface. It's always underground. That's why in Africa, when the British came, the British recognized what was under the ground. The Africans only saw what was on top of the ground, and resentment has ensued ever since. You as a leader must recognize what is hidden, what needs uncovering, and you need to start sweeping, and you need to start making room, because nothing that is great jumps out at you. It always has to be discovered. I'm going to close, and the team is is coming up. I want to say this, and I'll, I'll preach on this tonight. Do you know that when Aaron built the, uh, made the golden calf, the Lord came down and, and, and spoke to them, and, and, and Moses said to Aaron, how did this happen? And, and you know, there's ridiculous words in Exodus. He says, I asked the people for their earrings. I threw them in the fire, and this calf jumped out. If your church opportunities are just jumping out, chances are they're not genuine. Because nothing worthwhile of worship and leadership just jumps out. It has to be looked for, searched for, recovered, and brought out. And if you get an eye for opportunity, recognize everyone's got opportunities, that God is going to give you them, and there's a season, they have a shelf life, but you're not blind to them, and you say, Lord, use me, you'll start seizing your God-given opportunities, and you'll see growth and increase and progress like never before.
As I close this morning, I believe the tide is turning. The tide is turning. We've had a COVID tide that has washed out, but now we're seeing a tide come back in, a move of God like never before. I was, uh, I was watching something, and I want to just take a moment to show you this. It's a 24-second video of the, the Burncoat Park in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is up near Canada, and... Uh, the, the tide there, the river goes out into the Atlantic Ocean, but you know what happens? 175 miles by 65 miles. I don't know if you know how big that is. Huge amount of water comes out of the river, but you know what happens? As the Atlantic comes back in, it pushes it right back up the river. And the tide can drop a level as high as 12 meters. Can't imagine it. Just have a quick look at this and then we'll close in prayer. That's a 12-meter rise. You know, when you see it gone, you think that's it. But in a moment, it can come back again. And I believe the tide's gone out. But God's saying, can you see it? Will you say it? Will you seize it? Because there's a new tide of opportunity. And uh, we're in the grace years. We're in a moment in time where if we see it and seize it, God will give us great favor. And I want to, I want to say this before we cl close with a song and, and, and I want to pray for people. You know, Samson missed his opportunity. He mucked about, and I'm not suggesting anyone in the room is a Samson, maybe you are. But Samson missed his opportunity and his calling and all God wanted to do. But you know what he did? He was able to regain it. And all it took was a little boy. He said, put my hands again on the pillars. And as he put his hands on the pillars, he regained his calling, he regained his opportunity, and he pushed that temple down. And maybe today you've missed opportunity. You say, well, you know, it's wonderful that you spoke. The young people will respond, no, no, no. Everyone in the room needs to put their hands on the pillars, recognize the tides coming back in, and that God wants to do something. And I believe if we, if we have an opportunity, maybe we should get you to come to the front and say, you know what, lay hands on me and pray with me. I want God to open my eyes to opportunity. I want my, my dull heart to be made alive. I want to see things in my community I've never seen, and I want to seize them in Jesus' name. Come, let's stand up and let's take a moment to just sing and worship. And if you need prayer, why don't you come down?